everybody. Welcome back to Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. We're here with our good friend Jeremy Carter and a new guest to our Young Lions program, Andrew Gould, who uh, is, a, is appearing to us from New York City. And we're just so happy to have uh, Andrew with us as part of these sessions today. Andrew, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And, and what we're doing today is part of our conversation with series. Jeremy's done a bunch of these. Um, and today is a conversation with Andrew Gould about playing different styles with Jeremy Carter. And let me tell you a little bit about Andrew. Um, you all who are who have been following along um, know a lot about Jeremy, but I'll give you a little bit about Jeremy too, and then we'll get into it. So Andrew's a native New Yorker, saxophonist, composer. He's established himself as one of the most in-demand players on the New York City music scene. If you want to learn more about Andrew, please visit andrewgouldmusic.com. There you're going to find all the great musicians and ensembles he's played with and collaborated with, recordings he's been featured on, venues he's played in. He's a graduate of Manhattan School of Music and SUNY Purchase, continues to teach regularly, maintains a studio of private students, has taught private lessons at the New York at the New School, giving master classes at SUNY Purchase, Hofstra University, New York Youth Symphony, many more. Also a text lessons mentor with Chad LB Text Lessons Program. He's recently released an album, First Things First, on the outside in music label. Check that out. Uh, received some really great acclaim. Uh, please visit him online to learn more about his other projects too. And what can we say about Jeremy Carter? Jeremy's a great friend of Clearwater Jazz Holiday, um, big on Clearwater Jazz Holiday education and outreach. He's an active participant, not only in the Young Lions program, but also the History of Jazz Outreach program, which has surpassed 30,000 students in the Bay Area public school system since 2012. And also in the last four years, a regular participant in the newer My Journey with Jazz program, which brings a really neat music mentoring game that we developed into neighborhood family centers and other organizations in underserved areas of our community doing great things. Jeremy Carter, and always we love the Jeremy Carter rubber band, killing it whenever whenever they play. And we've had them regularly with the Wonderlust music series. And of course, Jeremy's been uh, appeared in a variety of different collectives with Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival over time. So with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, turn it over to Jeremy now um, to, to uh, kind of get into it with Andrew. And guys, the stage is all yours. Hello, hello, hello. What's up? Hey, Andrew, how's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. Currently quarantined here in New York City, riding out yeah. some some Omicron, I think, but I'm um, generally feeling cool. So I'm happy this this breaks up the uh, otherwise m monotony <laughs> of my quarantine. So right, right. Happy, to, happy to be doing this. Yeah, you were just uh, you were just out on the road, right? Yeah, I was. I was um I was in Europe for a little over a week. It, it was a two week tour, but I I um I came back early because I had a couple of other gigs with um the eight bit big band and in Boston and in Washington DC and a few things. So, you know, um, yeah, I just, I was all over the place and right. you know, been back in New York city playing a couple of crowded shows and, you know, um, 
And I guess I guess it it was just gonna happen sooner or later when I finally got this thing. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, we're, <laughs> we're we're glad you're uh, you're as, as well off as you are. For sure. Um, yeah, Thank talking you. about the the eight big big bands, you uh you guys just won a Grammy for this latest project or for the the video game project, right? You were part of that, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it was a recording um, that I played on. It it won a Grammy for the best instrumental arrangements. So yeah. I think technically I didn't necessarily exactly win the Grammy, but I played on the recording that won it. Um, hey. Just to make it clear, you know, in case anyone wants to split those details. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, uh, it, it's, it's pretty impressive nonetheless. Like, I, I've heard that band a few times. It's definitely smoking the arrangements. All the players in the band are totally cooking. And so, yeah, it definitely is pretty impressive. It's like, however somebody wants to look at it, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's, we're, we're all super, super pumped. I mean, you know, it was... It, it was really a project that you know Charlie Rosen, who's who's the band leader and the the you know you know the uh, arranger and orchestrator for it all. Um, he's we, we I've been working with him for years, and he reached out to me and a couple of other cats at first, like, hey, you guys want to record some arrangements of big band music? And we're all like, yeah, sure, that sounds cool, you know. And and we put out these videos, and it just like blew up, you know. I think none of us, including Charlie, realized how much of a scene a scene that there is for video game music now um, and how popular it is, you know? Um, so it really just kind of, it literally snowballed. Like the more videos we put out, the more it grew in popularity and people were asking us, are you guys ever going to play live? And we're like, huh, that's a, that's a good question. I guess we probably should now. You right. know? Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. It's just a really cool thing. It was just like a past passion fun project, I think for Charlie and all of us that just grew into this, you know, and now with the Grammy one and, you know, shows, we're just kind of just along for the ride and seeing where it's going to go. But definitely it's very, very exciting, you know? Right. And, and uh, you and yeah. you and Sam just put out an album together. Yeah. 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 So Sam Dillon, who, as you know, is one of my really good buddies and he's kind of like my longest um, musical friend really you know because we both came right. up on Long Island um, together when we were in high school and you know the cool thing about Long Island um, <clears throat> is that there's a lot of really good music education programs happening over there too and right. uh, for high school kids you know if if you are dedicated you can audition for a few different like on kind of like honors ensembles and, and make like um, you know there's a few different jazz ensembles a few different wind ensembles and things like that. And so Sam and I both auditioned and we were part of this program when we were in high school. It's called Nassau Suffolk Performing Arts. Um, and we kind of knew about each other, even though Sam, Sam's a year older than me. So he had just graduated, but I had heard about him by the time he was there. And then there were a couple of other programs like a Nassau Community College that we got to play in together. But then we, we both transferred into Purchase College um, together and we sort of found each other there. And it was like, Hey, you're Sam Dillon, right? Hey, you're Andrew Gould, right? Man, you sound great. I've been checking you out. You know, so we just, our friendship grew from there and we would hang and practice and together and talk music literally all the time. Like we used to like see who would be the last one in the music conservatory at like 3 a.m. at night, like who's going to leave first, you know? Um, right. And and so, yeah, like this idea of, of the album was just sort of something that we've been talking about forever. Like, let's just get bass and drums 
and just record some fun tunes and just go off and just see what happens, see how much we can just sort of uh, egg each other on, you know, as, as two good buddies, just, just playing some tunes and having fun, you know? So right. everything's recorded now. It's coming out um, August 5th. And um, yeah, we just put out a single a few weeks ago and there's another one in May and I think another one in July. And there's going to be a transcription book of all of our solos that um, it, it's all being transcribed by, by Wesley Chin. Poor guy. He's doing such a good job transcribing all these notes that Sam and I played. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, 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 we're super excited about it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, <clears throat> I think I met you guys uh, back kind of around that time, probably, I want to say maybe 2008, 2009, something like that. We did. Uh, yeah, we did meet at some point, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over at Cleo's or maybe it was Fat Cat or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, you guys were a lot younger then. And I, even then, you guys, I was just, it just stuck out to me because I was, I was making trips up to New York like a couple of times a year. And so just, yeah, I mean, when I started doing this thing here, I just kind of remember cats that I run into over the years going up and just like, hey, you know, so yeah, even back then, man, you guys were, you know, definitely about it. And just come in and, and play it, you know, and just fired up about the music and carrying on the tradition, uh, you know, definitely the, the, the way that it should be, you know. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, just just trying just trying to get our act together. You know, that's all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like I was saying, um, I put this together. It's it's uh, it's great to get some more footage for the archives and everything like that. But. Um, I wanted to have you on here for somewhat selfish reasons as well, I must admit. Um, all the sax players I've had on have all been tenor players, so oh, I f- okay. <laughs> yeah, I figured I should show some love to the to the alto players as well. And yeah, I, I represent just, the E flat guys. I know, dude. I, I just started playing alto again in the last year or so after mm-hmm. not playing it for years. Like literally just I I never thought about alto. Uh, a friend of mine called me for a Cannonball Adderley uh, concert, and I was like, "You want me to play alto?" <laughs> so, right, you know. So, I, just out of necessity, I started playing it again. So, it, uh, it'll be really interesting to get uh, get some saxophone perspective, uh, you know, from a, from a, a truly accomplished alto player. Uh, for the for the archives for Clearwater Jazz Holiday, big thanks out to them as well, uh, and and like I said, also for personal reasons, uh, just to kind of get <laughs> get some get some insight from a really really good uh, alto player. Oh man, well, I'm, I'm I'll do what I can for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so so just uh, so guys, what what are you playing on nowadays? So yeah, this is um a Mark Six Selmer Mark Six um. It's an old New York Meyer 6M. Um, it's like one of the New York USA pieces. Yeah. Um, I from like the mid 60s or so, which is actually around when my horn, I think my horn is from 65 too. Um, okay. So, yeah, the horn and the piece are kind of both from around the same time. Um, About a 130, something like that? 120, 130? One, 124, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's maybe on the earlier side of 65. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh yeah what else um playing uh Dario Jazz Select 3M uh cool. and one of these Silverstein um ligatures yeah man yeah there we go <laughs> beautiful i i love the i love the Dario Jazz Select reads i have to say they 
you know, like I'm not just I'm not just saying this because I have an endorsement with them. No, no one's, <laughs> no one's paying me extra. I'll just get a discount. <laughs> but no, I really I just really like the reads a lot. They really just resonate and feel right when I play. Right. Them, you know? Um so yeah, whatever for for what it's worth. But you know, I played a lot of a lot of great reads and great mouthpieces, and you know, I think there's there's a, a ballpark of things that I think all generally work work well. Right. You were uh, you were on the Yanni for a long time, right? Yeah, I was, and I, I still play the Yanagasawa soprano, which I absolutely love. I love that horn, um, and I love the alto too. The the main actually the reason why I I switched back to my Selmer is because I was getting n nothing wrong with the Yanni horn at all. It was just, I was getting tendonitis um, just from switching to a different horn. Um, not Again, like, it's just the keys, they're laid out a little differently. Nothing, right. again, like, nothing wrong, but I was just getting, like, this weird tendonitis in my left hand, so I wanted to go back to home base um, and see if I could work it out. And it's still not completely gone. I still, some days are better than others. Some days are I'm really stiff. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to get back to home base and and um, play the horn that I've been that I kind of came up on, you know, that I've been playing and that I shedded ten hours a day on, in college on, you know, and just really feel cool, you know. And and my yeah. hand has felt better since, but um, you know, I, I feel bad because so many people ask me, oh, what happened? You don't like the Yanni anymore? It's like, no, I love that horn, I absolutely, yeah. and I still have it, you know. Right. Um, it, it's really just my own personal, you know, whatever. My my tendons are all messed up these days. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's weird. Like, because in my experience, like, um, I've always kind of praised the Japanese horns for their their ergonomics, like how 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 well their ergonomics are. Um, the Yamaha, the Inagasawa. I mean, I'm even the alto that I'm playing on. This is a Mark Six copy. But it's oh. got like it's got all the Mark Six ergos, like the No F sharp, and you know a lot of the same type of features. For me, I'm I'm much more used to the to the vintage setup. But I I, I totally dig the Yanni and the uh, Yamaha ergos. But yeah, you know it felt comfortable when I switched to. It's just over. I mean, I'm, this is after like four years of being on the horn. I just all of right. a sudden I start something started happening. You know, so. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily the horn or me, but in my attempt to try and rid myself of this, you know, I was, um, I switched right. back just to kind of just get, like I said, get back to home base, you know. Right. Do you notice a big difference in sound? Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely differences in sound. So I think um, the Yanni in comparison to the six, I mean, and everybody, you ask 10 different people this question and you might get 10 different answers, you know. Right, for me, right. Um, <clears throat> I felt that the Yanni was a wider sound and a, a more clear sound. Um, whereas the, the six, there's more stump in the center of the sound and it's a little okay. bit more of um, like a focused sound that goes this way, but I feel right. like um, it, it's not quite as fat. Um, okay. The sixes I always felt like have a very kind of direct focused thing to them. I think Selmer's kind of in general do, but sixes especially, you know? Um, right. Whereas the Yanni is just kind of a little bit more round and everywhere, not just straight in front of you, if that makes sense. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whenever guys talk about sound, um, they use terms like spread, they focus, bright, dark, round, you know. Um, 
and which is all important uh, into developing your sound, no matter what you're playing. You know, sure. just to at least have that expectation of like, I, you know, I want it to sound like this, and this is where what I'm actually getting out of it, and how do we get those two to match up? You know, totally, totally. Yeah, it's important to have the sound in your head conceptualized, and then. Right wind up on equipment eventually, you know, um, that at least puts you in the general ballpark. Again, it's the player, it's not the equipment, but as long as the equipment doesn't um, wind up getting in your way too much, you can you can get there, you know, but, but first, you know, and this kind of ties in, I think, with what our general topic is about here, like different styles, you know, it's, it's about having a really strong, um, concept for how you want to sound in your head first because if you can think it here you hear it here it's that much more likely to come out of your horn but if you don't really know where you're going then you're not going to get there you know right yeah so speaking of uh the sound concept um when you're playing different styles of music like um for the for the kids that are going to be uh, tuning in and uh, checking out some of this footage. Um, a big part of that is listening. So, so lately, uh, what, what, what kind of ingredients are you adding to the soup here lately in terms of listening? Who are you checking out? Man, you know, um, I haven't been listening to too much like newer music. You know, I'm always, I check out a lot of different kind of stuff, a lot of even, you know, non jazz stuff too, um, which I think is really important. Uh, um, especially, these days, you know, because it is, it is 2020, 20, blah, it is 2022, <laughs> 2020, 2022, you know, and I think it's, it's kind of good to keep, you know, one foot in what's current, you know, and one foot or, and, and still two feet, we have three feet, two feet backwards <laughs> and one foot forward, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I've been checking out still, like I listen to Cannonball and Train all the time, you know, Johnny right. Hodge um yeah like all all the time you know I've, I've recently been listening to um the machito record kenya again and there's this one track on there uh called canonology where cannonball plays with machito's band and he plays like a this whole big extended solo you know and it's with the machito orchestra you know it's it's not a, a really a a context that you hear cannonball playing in that much in front of a right. big band and in front of like an afro-cuban big band playing in that style and you know um with those rhythms kind of behind them you know um so yeah that's been really kind of one of my things that i've been like checking out a lot um recently yeah very cool so i mean uh so lately i've been uh, kind of looking at uh like like you said a bunch of different um genres of music a lot of bob berg uh bob mentor kind of on the, on the jazz side, but then also like cats like Kingfish and Eric Gales. I don't know if you're hip to those cats. I don't think so. No. Yeah. King, Kingfish is like a, like a younger blues guitarist. He's just, I don't know. He's got a, a serious swag to him. And Eric Gales is, is a little bit older, uh, but he's another blues guy. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been totally picking up on some of those influences just, you know, yeah, the listening is, is, is a huge component. And then Dave Sanborn, too, for some reason. I've been listening to a lot of Dave. Hey, um, I mean, his sound and his phrasing is incredible. You know, it's 
Yeah, for sure. I got to check out those those other artists that you mentioned, though. Yeah, there's a couple of guitar players, Kingfish and uh, and Eric Gales. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're just, they're smoking, man. They they have like that blues, rocky. I don't I don't know what to call them. They they kind of de- defy you know placement in any category. Love it. They're just Love yeah. It. They're just so out there because Eric is like he's got this, you know, the, the cat's got chops in terms of like. A lot of the blues guys, the rock guys, they play a certain way. But Eric, like, he's playing a lot of, like, some really harmonically complex, dense structures. You know, it's like, wow, this guy, okay, I hear you, you know? Very cool. So, wow. Yeah, man. So when I hear that, like, I I definitely try to incorporate that. If we're playing, like, some Afro-Cuban stuff or if we're playing, like, some, you know, Her- uh, Herbie Hancock Headhunters. Uh, stuff like that, you know, it's definitely some opportunities to maybe incorporate some of those elements, you know. For sure, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's so important, you know, like, it's, you can take, you can listen to one style and grab a little piece of information, whether it's a lick or an idea or a rhythm or a melody, whatever it is, you know, and take that and find a million other ways and places to apply it to, you know. Right. That's the cool thing about like, about listening, you know, is it, the information is literally right there. It's just saying, it's saying, steal me, steal me, you know, like all you have to do is just sit down and figure it out for yourself and then be like, okay, cool. That's, that's what's happening here. Now, what are these notes? That's how they fit. Great. Now, so that's on an A minor chord. So maybe if I'm on a different minor chord, I can transpose these notes and I can use them on this song too, or or this works on song from my father. Oh, it also works on Blue Bassa, and it also works on So What. You know, like right. there's so many ways that you can connect the dots. Like once you find something, and that can come from any style. You know. Right. So I think, um, at least for me, like the way I think about it, um, one of the big dif- biggest differences when you're switching in between styles, like just for instance, if you're playing like, uh, like you said, also something like or Silver, you know, or that's kind of got that vibe versus something that would be more like Art Blakey. You know what I'm saying? And the biggest difference between all of that is mostly the rhythm. You know, harmonically, you're going to kind of shift and do things the way that you're going to uh I mean, not regardless. It's, it's going to be appropriate fitting of, you know, if you're playing like some old yakety sax, you're not going to do all these alter subs. And, you know, <laughs> you know hey, never saying? say never. Never say never. <laughs> I know, but but the, one of the biggest things is like rhythmically how how you approach each other. So uh, so what what are you thinking of, uh, or are you thinking of anything specifically in terms of rhythm rhythm? Like if you're at the session or if you're, uh, you know, just a jam session or if you're in the studio and it's like, okay, you know, they run the track, they give you a little pre-lead in for the track. And then you, so rhythmically, is there anything specifically you're thinking about as it pertains to the style of music you're playing or is it just like, okay, I need to do one thing and then I'm off? Um, yeah. Wow. Really good question. And, uh, uh, first of all, I totally agree. I think that rhythm is very much, something that separates how we would approach one style from the next for sure. Um, A lot happens. I I think a lot comes down to just the moment and, and the specific track and, and, and what happened before, you know, so 
I think it's it's an inter- it's interesting that you mentioned Horace Silver's, you know, like the Horace Silver style and 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 Blakey, you know, and and Horace Silver, I kind of I generally think of being a little bit more, um, uh, rhythmically downbeat oriented, maybe yeah. Um, yeah. a little bit more in in the grid, whereas mm-hmm. Blakey's Jazz Messenger kind of spanned, um, a spanned a long range of things, you know, and there were a lot of different solos in there that played all sorts of ways, you know, I mean, even if you just compare how Lee Morgan played versus how Freddie Hubbard played in the band, right? Right. Um, Or Wayne Shorter. I mean, geez, like, yeah, these guys, they played all up in the cracks, you know? Um, (laughs) Another great example of like, you know, the um, song from my father, right? Joe Henderson played on that. Um, To me, like, he's doing all sorts of stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't, you know, there's obviously very deliberate rhythms that he's playing, but I don't think he's, like, worried about, okay, I have to remind myself to keep the rhythms in the style, you know what I mean? Right, I think right. he's hearing his phrases, and he's just going, you know? I, I think a lot of times the context, um, it, it takes care of itself as long as you kind of have you as long as you're well informed of the style so right. yeah I, for me personally i'm not never telling myself oh you have to keep the rhythm here or there i'm i'm just i'm just fl- letting it flow i'm just trying to play and and feel in the moment and go with what what happened before what's happening cr- happening currently and try to make it all make sense with what i play next you know right. um, so yeah i mean it, it, yeah, it really just depends on the moment, I, I think, you know. There, there's other styles where I would be a little bit more deliberate. Like, I think if someone was saying, okay, like, we're going to play this James Brown vibe, <laughs> and you right. need to play, like, and you need to, like, get into some Maceo stuff, like, sure, there's going to be a lot more specific choices than I make there as far as rhythm, repeated notes, um, certain types of, like, more pentatonic and blue scale ideas, more mm-hmm. riffs. You know things like that, um, where and I might might stay away from getting into as many linear ideas. Um, right. Yeah, when it comes to playing like kind of um, more like hard bop, like whether that's Horace Silver and Blakey, I'm just gonna kind of let it go. You know, I'm just gonna flow and see what happens. You know. Right. Yeah. No, there's some, some really good examples there. Um, like rhythmically. Uh, I mean, at least from an educational standpoint, when people are listening back to this, like rhythmically, you can take on an attitude of like a Dexter Gordon or a Jack DeJanette, where it's just like, this thing is just going to float, you know what I mean? Or yeah. you can be more like a chick, you know what I mean? Or or, or like a, or a, a, who am I thinking about? Uh, Keith Jarrett, you know? Sure, sure. You you know, also, you... Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, there's so many examples of, of different players interpreting songs like Horace Silver Tunes, you know, um, that, you know, there's a lot of room for your own interpretation. But, you know, there there's, I can tell when I hear a player that's well-informed because there's a certain rhythm and a certain um, flow to the phrasing uh-huh. uh, that people who have checked out jazz language and jazz vocabulary have when they solo and even if uh, you're not thinking or even even if i'm not thinking it it just it winds up being there you know what i mean in the same way you can tell um a native english speaker because you know like 
just the way that they have flow, where they put their inflections, you know? Whereas if their inflections are, or their, their accents are on the wrong syllables, it sounds like, well, you're not, you don't really know this language. You know what right. I mean? Um, so yeah, for me, it was less of like a conscious thing, like, oh, I need to worry about how all the rhythms are, but more just kind of absorb the flow of the language, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, that's really, really important uh, uh, for cats listening in. Uh, because I think a lot of students uh, or a lot of uh, even advancing players, they maybe overthink the thing. Like they, they think that like there's a formula. And so I just have to adhere to this formula and figure that out, figure this thing out. And then all of a sudden I will play well. It was not necessarily that type of one-to-one. Um, there's a lot of things that go into uh, developing your sound. Like you said, developing the vocabulary to put the words together, just like, right, just like your speaking voice. You have to have the vocabulary, you have to have the words, you have to have the notes, the phrases, the ability to implement dynamics uh, in, in an effective way, like a good sound is gonna have a, a good bit of highs, a good bit of lows and everything in between. And it's not just gonna you know, stay in, in one place. And so uh, for someone that's trying to develop uh, their stuff. Um, it, obviously, the work that you're doing in the practice room is serious, and you should uh, remain focused during those times and work hard. But when you're actually playing, you know there is a certain level of play there. You know they call it playing for a reason. You know you do all the work in order to like kind of, uh, by many accounts, release those things and just play. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's the bird the bird quote where, you know, I've heard a lot of different variations on it, but the general gist is, you know, you, you learn everything in the practice room and then you forget it all and just play. You know, I think every time I try to remind myself this a lot, especially when I'm in situations where I'm getting a little nervous, which they still happen all the time, you know, you know, you have to kind of make peace with, okay, all the shedding that I've done, that's where I'm at right now. This is where I'm at right now. So the best thing that I can do is just try to relax and let it flow as much as possible. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna all of a sudden in the, the next two minutes become <laughs> like the like a, the next John Coltrane. It's just it's where that's where I'm at. So I'm gonna make peace with it and just try to make as much music with what I have and just like just just let it flow. You know, um, yeah, I, I think what you said about overthinking it is such a huge thing. You know, and and we're all prone to doing that because we. Yeah. All, we, this is something that means a lot to all of us. We all want to sound as good as we possible, as as good as we possibly can every single time we, we play the horn, especially in front of people, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes it's it's almost like it got to be a meditative thing in a way. Where yeah. it's just, just let it flow, you know, be like water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mentioned that because like you said, man, we're all capable of doing it. Like, regardless of what the situation is, maybe, you know, the gig pays really well or maybe the gig, it's a big opportunity. Like, if you play well in front of these particular people or you notice somebody in the audience that's, uh, you know, it's just like that. It can happen for a bunch of different reasons. And then all of a sudden, you're trying to manufacture something that's not there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, I'm certainly very, very guilty of this. You know, it, it's, it's, um, it's always, it's, it's just a never ending learning experience. You know, I, I still yeah. learn something new 
or learn what not to do, a new thing not to do every <laughs> single time I play. Okay, yeah, maybe don't don't ever try that one again. <laughs> you know, right. whatever it is. But but that's you know where that's we're constantly just chipping away at the at the statue, just trying to make it make it better. You know, absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. You wanna you wanna play a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, I pulled up my alto, so I figured I'd get kicked around a little bit on alto today. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, since we got this uh this delay, usually what I've been doing uh just to do some stuff is um uh, is we can like trade. You know, I was thinking uh, I don't know, we could uh we could do something like solar. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. You know, we could we could just like trade choruses, like you play a chorus over the melody, I'll play a chorus over the melody, and then we'll start trading choruses after that. Sure, yeah, no problem. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Great, great, great. <clears throat>
<laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> nice. Dude, yeah, that's wonderful stuff, man. Oh, you too. You too. The alto sounds great. If you if you didn't tell me you were, you know, not mainly an alto player, I would not have known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. That's this is kind of like like home base for me. Like I, I started off on alto, like my first, I don't know, all through high school. I didn't really start playing tenor until uh, after I got out of school. And so, yeah, just kind of out of necessity, man. I went back to alto and it's it's been a lot of fun because it's like a new toy. You know what I mean? It's a different rewind. Like when I get up and I start messing around with reeds and stuff, it's just like another thing that's right there, you know, to get you in, and keep you engaged. Because you can, you can totally get in a rut, man, if you're just kind of like going through a lot of the same stuff. You're playing in a, a lot of the same musical situations. And yeah, just a, it just playing alto just completely just, I don't know, it changed up a lot of stuff in terms of the way that I'm looking at the saxophone again. Yeah, you know, I think that's really interesting because I've, I feel that way too when I play tenor and soprano, you know, um, I think it's important to be able to um, get into how the other saxophones kind of feel and resonate, you know, um, just because it gives you more perspective. It gives you more holistic view of what's going on, you know, and also right. especially doing a lot of like section playing too. Like you kind of really get into like, okay, this is how the tenor sounds in this range or this is, you know, I, I feel like it gives you more insight in how you can blend with other, the other horns, you know. Right. Um, and there's more ways to, to voice notes and shape your sound. You know, tenor I really like because it, 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 it helps me retain this open, loose kind of feeling when I'm playing alto. There was, I had a long period where, where I would always practice tenor for like an hour or two before I even picked up my alto just because right. I liked what it did to my alto sound, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the same way. Uh, like whenever I play alto, just, I mean, just to, you know, we were talking about expectation when you're pr pr uh, producing your sound. Like when I press an A, this is not the A that I think is going to come out when I'm playing alto. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so like just all those habits that you have built into playing, you know, your main instrument, and they're just gone. It's like, you got to start all over. It's like, oh, wait a minute. What is this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, the longer you play, like the, like the longer you stay on the alto, I bet, especially now that after we played this tune, you know, like you're probably a little bit more dialed into like, okay, if I play an A, it's going to be here. A little know? bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that messes me up too. The thing that messes me up the most is when I'm playing tenor or soprano and I'm playing a tune that I know well, but yeah. I, hear piano, I hear like the piano player like playing something that I kind of really want to catch, but I hear it the wrong because I hear everything in E flat. So if I hear yeah. a piano play a G, I instantly think, oh, that's an E on alto. Yep. I mean, yeah. so I hear the piano play a G and I'm holding a tenor. I still want to go to E, but I'm like, no, 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 that's A now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that it's like that instant, even just like that split second of a oh wait no it's not this is this that can mess with you when you're when you're playing in the moment and you and you like like I said you want things to just kind of flow, uh -huh. you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's good to practice that and, and check yourself and. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, because like, <laughs> you know, like you said, man, like some things they just happen so quickly. 
like that, right, that split pause, split second of a pause is enough to completely, maybe not mess up, just change the way that whatever you were going to play is not going to come off the same way. Because it's right. just, the chord changes are not where they were. It's not going to lie. Even if you try to do it next time around, it's just not going to, you know, that was that moment, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get into it, uh, you know, switching up on uh, with with the different instruments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you uh, are you doubling at all? Yeah, yeah, I play I play both flute and clarinet. Um, flute a lot more because I do, you know, as an alto player, and I do like a million and one big bands. Flute is something right. that I always have to play, you know, um, right. and, and soprano a lot. Um, the the every now and then there's a clarinet part too. But um, yeah, I would say like mainly like I'm walking around the city with like an alto, a soprano, and a flute with me, you know. Wow. Um, those are the main ones. Iwi too, actually. I play Iwi also, but people don't usually ask me to play Iwi so often. But I have one. So you have you have the you have the new one, the five thousand. I have the five thousand. Yeah, I wanted the four. Um, yeah. Because I like the 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 sounds and the internal sounds in the four are a little hipper, I think. Um, All right. But, yeah, I use an external synth usually when I play the five, um, right. for real. But yeah, um, flute has been my main focus as far as like what I feel um, the the primary double for an alto player, or at least for for myself, kind of needs to be, you know, um, right. because I have to I have to do it all the time, you know. Yeah, the the Eevee's good exercise too in terms of just like making sure the fingers are, are straight, you know. There's Absolutely. there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually cool. I I bought Niwi because um well, I was when I found out we we were going to have a kid, I was like, "Oh boy, I'm not going to be able to practice anymore during the day." <laughs> so, what can I do? I know, I'll buy an Niwi so I can practice at night and not right. up, you know, um and over the pandemic, you know, that really came in handy. I got a lot I had periods where I was practicing Niwi all the time, you know. And there was a really cool um, little masterclass, or maybe it was an interview that I saw um, with Michael Brecker. And he said that one of the things that he liked the most about the EV is the fact that the keys are touch sensitive and it really gets him thinking about making sure that his fingers land as precisely as possible on right. the whole. Um, and kind of almost thinking like a percussionist, you know, with how, how accurately his fingers are landing in the time. And the EV definitely reinforces that because if you are even a little sloppy it's gonna let you know you know um so yeah i like to set the key delay really low so i can tell at least for practicing um right. just like how how um accurately my fingers are landing and then apply that same discipline if you will to to the saxophone you know All right do you have any uh do you have any specific literature you're working on like now, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, I know people go through different pages. Like I'm, I'm back into uh, some older stuff. Oh, love that. So, so the Rasher book with the overtones and all that. The Bach book. I got my monk book here, a bunch of different stuff. Is there anything like specific literature wise you're digging into? Um, I've, I've certainly spent a lot of time with those books that you just mentioned, especially the top tones with the, um, top tones of the saxophone. That, that one's yeah. Really- and I still do. I, I guess I don't. I'm not um, opening the book up anymore. But I do a lot. Of, <laughs> right. I, I do a lot of exercises from that book, or yeah. little exercises that I feel like I've I've kind of are, are derivative of it. You know what I mean? Um, right. 
Yeah, a lot of my practicing these days, though, it's well, it's mostly survival maintenance practicing, just because I just don't have the time to sit down and shed like I used I to open up a book anymore. You know? Um, yeah. But yeah, when I'm reading, um, I guess the only thing now is like flute etudes. Really, that's like the only time I've, I'm really like kind of propping open a book. Really, yeah. um, which is this one I really like the melodious. So it's probably backwards in the. In no, the no, it's coming through. Study yeah. flute. This one okay. is really good. There's just a lot of really good varying etudes in there. Some focus on just like long, like longer flowing melodies that get you up in the high register because yeah. sustaining long high notes is just the bane of our existence on the flute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to make myself do it as much as possible. Um, yeah. Um, there's also a really great out. Speaking of top tones, there's another really great new altissimo book that I highly recommend that um, Ben Wendell put out. Which oh, is all, uh, yeah, I think it's available on his website. I, I bought it because I was like, all right, I'm, I'm down to. I got to see whatever. What does he do? I got to figure out what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, oh man. So, so do I. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's very much a lot of overtone um, and, and, you know, uh, harmonic based exercises that are, are top tone oriented too. He just has his own ways and his own explanations that I think are really clear and really, really well said. And it's stuff that like, I kind of when I interpreted my own way of, okay, this is what I feel like I need to do to make the overtones work. When I heard him say it, I was just like, ah, yes. I never thought about putting it this way and this way. That's so good. So not only did it kind of help me conceptualize further for myself, but also it helped me um, think of new ways to kind of explain it to my students too, as far as how to think about it, you know, Um, it's such a personal thing, you know, just even developing a sound, um, Mm -hmm. not even just with overtones, just holding out one note, the way that that feels to you might not be quite the same. It feels to me because we're all, put together differently. No two people are the same. We all have different physiology um, in so many different ways. So, you know, one person might say, yeah, for me, I need to kind of raise my tongue up in my mouth. And the other person says, well, I don't really need to do that. I feel like I'm blowing faster, you know? So there's there's a realm of kind of, you need to, there's a, a bunch of different variables that can all kind of help you achieve different qualities and colors in your sound. Now, experiment and see what works for you you know and he's very much like that he's like i i I, he he even says at one point he's like you know i i don't want to tell anybody exactly what they need to do here to get the notes to come out higher but for me i find that the airstream and and the combination of that and my tongue position and and the the shape of the inside of my mouth like whether i'm going ah or e or ooh or every little minute difference there within those combinations all influence my sound and the right. color and the spectrum of brightness to darkness and um, help me get the higher overtones to pop out when I want them to and, and so forth, you know? So yeah, he, I just, it's really, really great the way he says it. And, and that's a, a book and uh, that I would recommend that, that I've been right. the most recent one that I, that I, I looked at, you know, but I, I wish I could say I've been shedding it from it more studiously, but I, I just watched the video, checked it out, and worked on it a little bit. But you know, it's 
these days routine is like what's that what does that word mean <laughs> yeah believe me man i got this stack of books and they've been sitting there staring at me like they haven't been getting a lot of i mean the just the, i because I, I, I learned so slowly man i go through this stuff like i will take one thing that i'm working on it will literally take me a week sure yeah yeah i'm you I'm know I'm really slow on the uptake, you know? Yeah. I mean, I got a nine-year-old too. And so just family and life and stuff like that, it's, it's, uh, it can be difficult, but we were talking about the top tones. One of the, one of the questions I have, like, I know some things, uh, transfer over from horn to horn, like from alto to tenor, uh, for instance, the G like right there at the split of the break, like there's some specific fingerings that, you kind of want to use for the alto versus the tenor. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I've kind of found that a lot of the stuff, the fingerings that I use for tenor, most of them transfer to the alto. They do. Honestly, the only one I think that really um, doesn't is the G. You know, the other yeah. ones don't kind of work, at least for me. Honestly, yeah. you can even, you can get the tenor G to come out on alto, and you can right. get the alto G to come out on tenor and actually ben even he says that he's like these are my fingerings and i use them for every horn and i was uh, like oh okay i mean yeah. i gravitate towards doing this for g on on alto it feels right. a lot stable for me um i've been i've been going to like i do i've been going to the one three one three inside b flat yep that's the one that i play too yeah right? yep that's the one yep. that i feels the best it just seems like it, uh, I don't know, it resonates. Like, I can get that dirty split tone thing on the G kind of easier with that one. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's easier to kind of, you can lean into it more, and there's more meat to yeah. grab onto <laughs> with that fingering. If that <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, man, I, uh, yeah, that was one thing that I was, like, I was kind of noticing. Because, like I said, I, I recently I don't have a lot of experience with alto and so it just it still feels very foreign and, and new to me and as I go through it and start playing around the altissimo I'm like wait a minute this is a lot of this stuff works except all except for the G yeah 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 for sure I, I find that the you know altissimo is, is kind of its own separate thing you know it's you can the things that you need to do to get the altissimo out from one horn to the next, the, that's actually more in common. First of all, the fingerings, I think, they make less of a difference than just your voicing, you know? Right. Um, you can really get a lot of notes to come out by just voicing them the right way, you know? Right. Kind of wiggle your fingers and still make certain notes come out to an extent, right. you know? Um, yeah. I was at the Dave Levin masterclass once where he's like, this does not control your sound. This controls your sound. And he would do all the stuff with his fingers and it wouldn't matter. He would, he got any note he wanted to by just voicing it. And I remember just being dumbfounded, like watching him do that. Like, wow, the, the amount of control that it takes to override, like pushing the fingers down. Yeah, that, it, it was pretty wild. Um, but I, I think it's kind of a good case in point is that, you know, really the saxophone it's it's very similar to like vocals you know whereas mm -hmm. you need to you need to just voice every note the right way and and um i i think a lot of people think about it as being your your embouchure and your fingers where really i think the embouchure is just meant to to seal the air from spraying out everywhere you know right. the, the 
sound and, and the control of the sound comes from what I was saying, which is the voicing, which is really your throat, your tongue position, your oral cavity position, the inside of your mouth, and then right. the, the, the speed of your air, you know. Right. And you can you can almost like you can almost see it when you listen to somebody like Cannonball, you know? Or like like say let's let's say Cannonball versus like another sax player. I really, really love his album, Miguel Zanon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On, on the other end of the spectrum, Definitely. you know, maybe not as like ringing and uh, like all the harmonic brilliance, but like really, really full and pure and colorful at the same time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, both very different sounds, but both very clearly voicing. <laughs> very, yeah, yeah. That... You know, and I think yeah, that's that has a lot to do with like what 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 we kind of spoke about, which is just like the sound that you're hearing in, in, in your head, you know, um, and what you want to go for, you know, um, that's coming out, you know, and what you do physically is all a manifestation of what you're hearing, you know? Right. Yeah, man. Um, let me see if we have uh, anybody that's jumped in or maybe has any questions. Steve, you got anybody that's uh, jumped in or had any questions on the panel? No, I, I don't. I Hey, what's up, Jeremy? I don't see any questions right. at the moment, but you know, my my head is spinning because uh, you know, I hope we <laughs> I, I, I hope we can twist Andrew's um, arm a little bit, maybe coming back in the future because I just think there's just so much there, particularly about you know his experiences up north and you know students that are desirous of you know heading north and trying to do it in the big city. You know, I think it'd be really cool to get some of his perspectives down the road. You know. Absolutely. That's why I kind of kept our topic so broad, just playing different styles, because I knew we would kind of jump around to a bunch of different things. But yeah, I absolutely agree, man. I think we could definitely pick a different topic and or a couple of different topics and talk to Andrew again, uh, just with all this experience and insight. Oh man, thank thank you. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to be back and talk more. I, as you can tell, I can I can talk. I I like talking, <laughs> so I'm I'm happy to talk more about any of that stuff. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's all great stuff, Jeremy. Do you think we're kind of at a breaking point now? What or yeah you- yeah we could probably wrap it up, man, and 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 definitely save some for another session. Okay, we're very cool. Well, you know, I I want to uh, to take a moment to thank the uh, corporate partners that help us uh, present these educational resources online after the live sessions they're recorded or they are recorded and then they're put into what we call the studio which you can find at clearwaterjazz.com in the education and outreach section and that resource is brought to you by our great friends at duke energy and uh, Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners. And for those that like to listen to the sessions rather than watch them, we have a podcast, the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions Podcast, which is accessible wherever you stream your podcasts. And, and that resource is presented by Marine Max Clearwater. So we really appreciate that support, um, helping to grow and expand the things that we're doing. and. Check out Jeremy. Jeremy's done a lot of sessions. You know, if you go to the studio, you're going to see a bunch of stuff there. He's done everything from instrument-specific, beginner, intermediate, and advanced sax lessons to a lot of these conversation series, past sessions in, available in the studio 
are his conversations with Sam Dillon, uh, Jeff Vidal, Joe Fromm, Tucker Antel, Mike Tucker, Terrace Martin, um, and more. And now we, we know we're thrilled to add Andrew's conversation there. Um, Jeremy also did a pretty cool session recently called Musical Color Wheel, which we really enjoyed. So, gentlemen, um, it's been our great pleasure having you um, with the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Um, can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Andrew. Yeah, man, we'll be in touch, man. We definitely want to uh, want to have you back and talk more. Anytime. Thank you. I would love to. Yeah. yeah thanks so much for participating, man. We, we know you're a bit under the weather. And so we, we definitely appreciate you hanging in there with us. Uh, my, my pleasure. All right. So for those for those um, out there, if you want a specific session or want us to touch on something, please don't hesitate to reach out to info, I-N-F-O at clearwaterjazz.com and we'll see what we can put together for you. And with that, take care, guys. Uh, everyone stay safe, stay safe out there and um, keep playing. Keep practicing. See you guys. See you. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.